Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and today I have a very special guest, Adrian from Fab Solution, although there's three different ways to say it, which we were just chatting about before we started recording. Very interesting way that they came up with the name of the company, but Adrian's a partner of ours we've worked with for at least a couple of years with several customers and brands that we've we've collaborated on together. Anyways, Adrian has a wealth of experience in migration, so site migrations, not necessarily just Shopify, so it could be rebuilds in Shopify, it could be moving from a different platform to Shopify plus Magento. We were chatting about that a couple of days ago and other platforms. So why why this topic today? We are in that season of, I see it on my side, a lot of brands going through their rebuilds or migrations, replatforming to Shopify. And I'm seeing a lot of launch dates in July, August, September coming up. We're in the middle of that as well, obviously with tracking. So it's a good time just to go through some top lessons learned when either rebuilding or migrating. And that's where Adrian comes in with a lot of his knowledge and experience and expertise. Adrian, welcome to the pod. Can you uh, just do a quick 30-second intro on yourself and we'll jump into our, our top lessons learned. Thank you so much, Brad, for, for having me. I'm Adrian Levinger, founder and CEO of Fab Solution, a web development agency specializing in e-commerce. We are a Shopify Plus partner and we are a team of 15 between the US and Europe. We also have an office in France and one in Belgrade, Serbia. Awesome. All right, so let's start with what's gone well. So you've obviously, you're completing many rebuilds, many projects. And I think this is a time for those that are going through the process of a rebuild and relaunch of just going through those. Again, what's gone well and then the gotchas that can sneak up on us. But let's start with the the good stuff. What's gone well in your experience over the last year or so? One of the topics of the podcast is conversion rate, right? So we're talking rebuilding themes and conversion rate. One key point for conversion rate is site speed and site performance. And that's usually one of the things that goes well with a a site redesign and rebuild is the improvement in performance. Over time, websites, merchants, brands tend to use an app and then remove an app, add a feature, remove a feature, or add a bunch of features. All these things are impacting the code and slowing down the site. When we are rebuilding a site, when we're rebuilding a theme from scratch, it's a good opportunity to clean the code from all that, to review all the functionalities and keep only what's needed. And with that, we can double, triple the site speed and overall performance. Yeah, so let's start with the easy stuff, tracking and pixels and conversion tracking. That's what I call a script graveyard where you'll test out different marketing sites. So just think even on our own site, Quora and Twitter and LinkedIn, and you have all these different marketing channels they might be testing. An e-com site, you could have 10, 20, 30 of these that stack up over a couple of years. It could be just in the order of thank you page settings. It could be in a theme.liquid. It could be in Google Tag Manager. But just that process of going through and just doing a script audit of what are we still using, what do we still need, and what can we get rid of and get rid of those. So that's obviously probably falls more in our world. But maybe talk a little bit about the code, maybe code rot or code debt that builds up. So it's apps that you might remove, but there isn't an automatic code removal or it could be, like you said, features that are added and then they're either commented out or they still live in the code base, but they're not actually rendering on the front end. Any other just tips that you have as you've gone through that process in the performance optimization? 
the marketing pixel and the tracking is a big one. And that's something that can go well or that can go wrong. And it's something very, very important in a rebuild. I think what's important and the way we like to do it is we divide the work. We ask the brand to list all the platforms on which they're doing marketing, therefore all the pixels. And if they have the knowledge, if they can, for each of the platforms to list all the conversion. And we're building a spreadsheet which is going to guide us. On our end, we're going to browse through the code and we're going to see all the scripts we're finding, whether directly in theme.liquid if we're in Shopify or sometimes it's other snippets, within other files within Shopify. And we're going to compare the files. For whatever we find that they don't have, we're going to ask them, is this something you're still using? Is this something you need or not? If not, we can drop it. When we have that, we have our plan for the migration of pixels and tracking and conversions. And we do migrate them if we can in a more optimized way, meaning migrating whatever we can to server-side, migrating whatever we can to Google Tag Manager. And then when we're going live, we will use that list again to check that everything is firing as expected. Because even though you plan for it, sometimes something is missed. Sometimes even though you built the list, you missed one channel. So it's very important on go live day to go through the list, but also have the brand go through their marketing platform and make sure they have all events still firing. If you do that, you're probably going to get rid of some pixels. You're going to improve your site performance. And also you're making sure that you're not losing tracking of anything and not wasting money in campaigns without proper tracking. Yeah. What about Shopify 2.0 theme or hydrogen? How are you seeing just the -the out-of-the-box site speed differences with those compared to 1.0 or potentially some of the custom themes that we've seen over the last couple of years? So we have not been experimenting a lot with Hydrogen. We've been building headless website, but leveraging other technologies. When it comes to 2.0, significant difference in site speed. I know that a lot of merchants are looking at the speed score within Shopify, which is very often alarmingly low. It doesn't mean it's that bad, but it's a good point of reference. More than absolute numbers, I would look at it in terms of trends, meaning that If you're deteriorating the code, if you're installing apps, it's going to go down. The other way around, if you're removing apps or improving the code, it's going to go up. So I think it's good to look at it for trends. Absolute number doesn't mean much. It's not because you're rating 30 that you have a slow website. 30 is actually pretty decent across what we see for all websites. But going back to 2.0, on a recent migration we did, it went from 7.8 to over 30 in terms of speed score given by Shopify. And we notice the same trend and the same improvement in Lighthouse, as well as in GA when we look at the, the page time load. Yeah, and for those that aren't familiar, when Adrian mentioned with looking at trends, you can look at Google Analytics or you can use what's called the Chrome User Experience Report. So that's actually, it's real data coming from Chrome users. There'll be a link in the show notes, but that'll actually give you a month over month comparison of looking at total page load. You can look at DOM loaded, a lot of the SEO elements, so the different frameworks that are included in some of the SEO signals, but that's a very interesting report to look at, especially if you're a couple months past the rebuild of pulling up that Chrome user experience report. You just plug in your site domain. It creates essentially a data studio report, and then you can just look at that change in trends and mobile, desktop, et cetera. So it's a really, really powerful report. Getting past the performance improvements with things that have gone well and upgrades, what are some other tips that you have for others that might be going through this process in the next couple of months? When you're building a site for the first time, you have opinions, you have things you want to do. When you're rebuilding, you already have data. So I think a very important point is to look at the data and make decisions based on that. 
So look at the features you have, look at the user flow you have, look at the user journey you have. And based off that, decide what you're going to keep and what you're going to lose in terms of features. Because however good the code is, at the end of the day, a website is going to be very fast if it's simple. And it has to be a trade-off between functionalities and speed. I mean, we all want a fast website and we all want all the functionalities in the world, but it's not 100% compatible. So what I would say is look at what has been happening on the website and maybe lose some of the features that you originally wanted, but that are not bringing a lot to the table. And by losing them, you're going to improve the speed. So therefore, you're going to improve conversion rate. You can do that by simply looking at the data in Google Analytics. The Chrome extension from Elevar is actually really good to be able to you know, create some custom events and then see what's happening in Google Analytics. If you want to have a bit more granularity, you could use a heat mapping tool. Good ones are Lockerand or Hotjar, but there are many, many good ones. And I think Microsoft Clarity from the last episode, they have, sorry to interrupt you there, but I don't know if you listened to it, but they have now a chat GBT plugged into it. So they have Copilot with Clarity. So it helps automate some of that analysis. So it was really interesting. Anyways. Clarity is an excellent one. The only thing I would say regarding all of them is that they impact performance like everything else. It's another thing loading. So my recommendation is have it running so that you can gather the insight you want and then remove it. Don't leave them as evergreen always on your website. Analyze, look at the data, know what features are bringing something to the table, and based off that, decide on what you want to keep and what you want to lose, and try to be as simple as possible. When it comes to e-commerce and to conversion rate, whether it's performance or actual add-to-cart, initiate checkout, I really believe that less is more. Yeah, a lot of really good points there. I'm just going to unpack a few of them. You mentioned event tracking. So this would be if you're looking at a PDP and trying, if you're having the discussions of, do we keep our video carousel? Do we keep this custom size modal? Do we keep our UGC content? Whatever else might be on there. But adding event tracking to that so you can push that, you can actually see how many people are using it, what the conversion rate is for people that use that. Split those into segments so you can create a segment of People who viewed a PDP and interacted with the video, compare that with people who viewed a PDP that didn't interact with the video. So really it can allow you to break that down. This is me speaking to the audience, not necessarily you, Adrian, but to understand how to analyze. So you take that, once you have those, those nuances of that data at your fingertips, that can help you go into those conversations of, okay, we don't need to triple the size of our PDP because we know that half the people are, or majority of people aren't using or it's low conversion rates. So let's just simplify, like you said. One big thing I've been a huge proponent on for years and years is going into a redesign. If there are certain features that you aren't sure whether you want to keep or get rid of, is it's like the easiest Google Optimize test. While Google Optimize test is still available, RIP Google Optimize, but just do a basic like hide it, just hide the feature, start an A/B test, just point and click, hide it, and just run a bunch of those across different pages, and that'll help give you the answer of is that actually helping performance and helping improve the current site. So then again, it can use those insights into the new site design, and then yeah, the great pro tip on the heat mapping software. I don't see this as much now, but a few years ago, I would see these, especially during Black Friday type seasons where that could really slow down and lag. So you can actually, in Google Tag Manager, pro tip for those listening, if you still want to keep Hotjar or Clarity or others running, you can use exclusion triggers. So if you just want to have them running on your landing page, then you can just have the Hotjar tag and have an exclusion trigger where you are only having that trigger only execute on that page or set of pages versus the entire site. So really good, solid tips there. All right, so now let's go to the... Actually, any, anything else on what's gone well? So just looking at our, our notes, so you have streamlining processes or more flexibility, anything to, to call out there? 
the more flexibility, I think that's one point we maybe have not touched base on. What I mean by that is you've been using your site for a while now, and you know that when you're changing the image on the hero banner, you want to change the position of the button, of the call to action, or you want to change the color, or you want to change, you, you want to change things because you know that for them to be more visible, for them to work well with the assets, you need to change them. Maybe that's not something that is exposed in the backend, but you know that because you've been using it for a few years or for a few months. You put that in the specs. The hero banner CTA, I want to be able to choose the position and I want to be able to choose the color and the size. This way, when we are building the section or when your dev shop is building the section, they can expose these parameters, these elements to you and you can customize. So you have more flexibility, you're more independent when you're running your Shopify store after the rebuild. We're discussing rebuilding. So rebuilding means we're building a theme for a merchant. We're not buying a theme off the shelf. Let's touch base on the difference here for a second. When you're buying a theme off the shelf, it's like you're buying a huge toolbox with many, many, many different tools. Can sound amazing and you can do many, many things, but a lot of these things you're never going to do. A lot of these tools you're never going to use. So you end up with a code that is heavier, a site that is slower than it should. When you're custom building, that's why it's very important to work on the specs before you get going is you list all the functionalities you want all the customization you want to be able to do yourself. And we're going to build all of them and just that so that you can do exactly what you want and you still have a very streamlined and lean code. So an efficient site. Does 2.0 in terms of being able to customize and have those variables or customization settings, does the bones of 2.0 make that easier when you're building out a custom theme? I wouldn't say that it's making it easier on us. I think it makes a big difference on the merchant when they're using it because you have sections everywhere. So it's a lot easier once the website is built to create new pages, to play with the layout by just drag and dropping different sections that we built. Are most of your merchants today, are they all moving? If they're on Shopify, are they all going to using 2.0? I think eventually everybody will be there. I would say that today, maybe 60, 70% of sites are on 2.0. Going off a little tangent here, but if someone's currently on a 1.0 and they want to move over to a 2.0 and uh, an accelerated migration to 2.0, is there a fast, is there an accelerated version of getting on a 2.0 to take advantage of some of the site speed improvements that you mentioned? Or is it, is it still pretty much the same process even if you were migrating from a different platform? So I think that upgrading to 2.0 from 1.0, you will benefit from some of the features, some of the new features introduced, the native meta fields or sections everywhere. That will be the big one. I'm not so sure that just upgrading will make a big difference in terms of speed. You would need to rebuild it from the ground up with that in mind to really improve the performance. So you'll get the functionality benefits, not necessarily the performance benefit by just upgrading. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. All right, what are, what's gone wrong? What are some of the things that you've, uh, some learning lessons? And for the record, everyone listening, I've probably done hundreds of migrations over the last 15 year rebuilds. Previous to Elevar, that's all I did for five years. So I have a lot of learning lessons as well. But Adrian, you're the expert these days. So what are, uh, what are some learning lessons that others can avoid? So we've touched base on marketing pixels. Going back to working on the specification before we start building the website. It happens that a client comes to us and they're like, okay, I'm ready. I want to rebuild the site. I want to improve the performance and I want to change how it looks. In terms of specs, just carry over everything we have. I want the same. That's very hard. 
because a website is evolving over years. So there might be many features, some that we're not using every day. So it's really important to spend time to review the different sections, the different pages, the different user flows, to put on paper all these features. One, so that we don't miss any, because saying just do the same, it's not easy, or we're not fully rebuilding. If you want to improve performance, you need to fully rebuild. And two, by doing that, you will identify what you need and what you don't need, because there are things that you were doing two years ago that maybe you don't want to do. It is, it's extremely important because it happens regularly that we are in the final phase of QA or we're going live. And we're like, oh, but uh, I'm not seeing the, the upsell in the cart, or I'm not seeing that module that I'm using for Black Friday, but we're doing the site in May, so I don't know what you're doing for Black Friday. So it's, it's really, really important to work on the specs. I know it's time consuming. I know it's not the most fun part of a rebuild, but I think it's an important part of the rebuild if we want the migration or the upgrade to go well. Yeah. So if a brand is launching the new site in July, part of your recommendation is don't just look to see what you need on July 1st. Look at September, October, November when you get into a season. Obviously, Q4 is an easy example. And build that into your spec so you don't end up, you get the call like, hey, Adrian, it's September. We need to get these Black Friday or these Q4 features live. And you're like, uh, we don't have any capacity. Let me see where we can fit you in. And then you're scrambling and trying to minimize scope and trying to rush to get something live. That sounds like the general recommendation is get that into the original spec so you you essentially plan and resource allocate against that. Absolutely. And from a technical standpoint, you can always add features. But when you have all the features from the beginning, you can think of your architecture as a whole and you can build something that is more efficient than if you build something and then add something and then add something. That would be the second benefit. Yeah. Is ChatGPT or any of these or the Bard or others, are they going to help in these pinches of like, holy crap, I forgot about this. We need to build it. Can you expedite? I don't know if you guys started to play in that world yet. Not to put you on the spot. We didn't talk about this ahead of time. We're playing with it. Yeah. We're not really using it. But I mean, you're giving an idea. It could help clients and us put the specification together. Maybe ChatGPT is capable of analyzing a site and listing the functionalities. And maybe it can help them be more efficient at writing specifications. Yeah. Bard is connected to the live because it's Google. So that's live connection. ChatGBT, at least as of today, their browser plugin isn't available to everyone, but they do have a plugin where ChatGBT version 4 can connect to the live. But anyway, that's interesting. I've been trying to do it. It's not good at telling you what's on your site, but it's good at giving you general specifications. So you can ask ChatGPT things such as, what are good features to have when you're an e-commerce site or what are the best features or the, the most commonly used? I mean, that can help you think of what you need and what you want or what you have. Yeah. Yeah. And I was even thinking going, well, ChatGPT, I think it's 2021 the cutoff is. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if 2.0 or the structure, but if giving it prompts to help create the bones and the functions that might be needed for specific features just to accelerate that. But that's probably a podcast on its own. So I'll bring us back on track. But something to think about, especially as we get into Q4, all right, SEO, this is a big one. Whether it's a reskin of a theme or migration, which is even more substantial, but what are some tips you have on just thinking about SEO? I think SEO is going to be more important or more impacted if we're talking migration than rebuild of a theme because you're going to change the URL structure if you're going from Magento to Shopify or from WooCommerce to Shopify or the other way around. Obviously, if you can work with an SEO agency and have a full plan, that's the ideal scenario. If you want to do it on your own, it's totally doable and we can support a client doing that. 
But a good place to start is pulling maybe your 500 top pages in Google Analytics and coming up with a plan for redirects. And that will go a long way. And also create some custom reports in uh, Google Analytics that will show you 404 so that on the day of go live and then week one, week two, analyze your 404s and create the redirects that you might have missed in your plan initially. Yeah, I think with the migration, that's you definitely hit the nail on the head there. There's so much more to think about, especially if you are coming from Magento or their platforms where they have pagination where you can end up with tens or hundreds of thousands of URLs that they're going to get crawled unless you're no-indexing them and you want to have a plan in place to potentially handle that at the site level. Are there any examples in the past that you were just like, holy cow, next time we're going to make sure that we that doesn't happen again outside of redirect? So anything around just structure of pages? So you know, not necessarily the basics of H1, H2, but just yeah, any, anything else, any other tips that come top of mind? On the SEO front or generally speaking? Yeah, on the SEO front. No, I mean, luckily, we've either had a migration where organic was not the biggest channel, one of the the biggest priority, or when it was, we worked hand in hand with top SEO agencies and we had a strong plan. They built something a bit like the process I was describing for uh, marketing pixels. Analyze the current situation, build your plan for the migration and test as soon as you go live. And and usually when you do that, you're in a good spot. Yeah. SEO and with this, to me, it it comes down to the data guy in me is if organic is a decent channel for you that isn't directly just organic from basically people searching from CN Facebook, but a true channel where people are coming in through organic means is do the math. What would happen if your organic revenue dropped by 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%? And if it's a significant number and you are potentially not excited about hiring an expert to ensure that everything transfers over. So if you you get a $50,000 scope of work for a site migration. But if you do that math and if your SEO goes down by 5, 10, 15% and it's in six figures, then it seems like you're mitigating the risk there because once you lose it, it's so much harder to, uh, to get back quickly. You're bringing an excellent point, generally speaking, that I would like more merchant to think about is when looking at the cost of a solution, don't look at it in absolute numbers. Think of the return on the investment or the potential downside if you don't do it. And not in all cases, not for all solutions, but quite often you'll see that your money is better spent with that solution than just not paying for it and then having to fix later on or losing the revenue. Yeah, opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. All right, let's hit some of these other considerations. What are a couple that we have here? Where do you want to start? One small one, but to be considered, in cases of migration, it's the one about image being hosted on servers. I had a case in the migration where the website was half on Magento and half on WordPress. A lot of the images were hosted on WordPress and they were not only used on the website, but they were used in other systems. Specifically, they were used in newsletters. What I mean by that is in the code for the template for the newsletter, let's say that the logo or let's say that the hero image was calling the image that is hosted on the server. We migrated from WordPress and Magento to Shopify. We didn't know. The brand forgot to tell us that some of the images on the WordPress server were used in the email. Next thing you know, we're sending a newsletter. Hey, we've replatformed. The logo is missing on the email. And everybody's like, where is the logo? What's happening? So that's something to think about. If you're migrating from a platform such as Magento or WordPress, where you have your servers to somewhere else like a Shopify, 
Think about what's hosted on the servers that is used not only on the website, but maybe somewhere else. Always better to anticipate. Yeah, yeah. That's one you only learn by going through it. <laughs> yep. Maybe the soon-to-be, this is actually a one, especially for those that are potentially migrating or just upgrading today, the soon-to-be deprecated features. Absolutely. Check out extensibility, Shopify scripts, yeah, tips, thoughts. How are you handling those conversations today? It's not easy because it's not going to happen tomorrow. The new features are fairly new and not fully mature. But my point is, if you're going to rebuild a site now, don't build something on a technology that is going to be deprecated soon because you're going to have to do the work twice. I was in a situation where we were rebuilding a site on Shopify and we designed things on the checkout thinking we were going to use checkout.liquid only to find out that when we were starting to build the website, Shopify would not give us access to checkout.liquid. So that's something important to know for everybody who is considering upgrading to Shopify Plus or who is on Shopify Plus but has not enabled checkout.liquid yet. You can't anymore. Unless you make a very strong point that you want to achieve something in checkout.liquid that is not doable through extensibility, but because Checkout.Liquid is going to be deprecated, they're not enabling the feature anymore for merchants if it's not already enabled. Yeah, and that's in many, many plus merchants, that's where all of customizations have lived inside of Checkout.Liquid and Checkout.Liquid's deprecated next August, I believe. It's August 2024, so almost a year away. That's where the balance will come in. There was an email that went out a couple of days ago where some stores are, the full one-page checkout is available now for some stores. So there's the... How can I take advantage of this amazing new one-page checkout within Shopify? Well, you can't if you're still on a legacy version of checkout. So there is that conversation of, like you said, of if you have 10 features and only eight are supported in checkout extensibility, but if you go that route, you're able to take advantage of the accelerated checkout and one-page checkout and some of the other new enhancements. Can you go without those two features until if and when they're backfilled? I think is a, that's a really good pro tip to consider. Yeah, and another thing that is not directly related to a migration and rebuilding a theme is when you're enabling these new features, make sure your tracking is still working because it has some impacts. That's a big one. And, and we just had it actually last week on a client where we're seeing the tracking in GA dropping and we're not understanding what's happening. And when we're digging, we're seeing, oh, client enable checkout extensibility. So we need to adjust the settings a bit. Yeah, that is high on our radar because it's happening every day. All right, as we wrap up, what about post-launch? What's the process for just evaluating post-launch, making sure that there aren't any big gotchas that pop up, any learning lessons that you can share? I think having some uh, alerts set up in GA, just so that if something is dropping, you can notice it proactively and before you're hitting too hard. I think conducting some uh, user interviews go a long way. And one thing I would say is take a snapshot, take some screenshots, look at the data, just before you do the switch and then do after so that you can actually measure the improvement. You can measure the difference between the old site and the new site. Regularly check. I mean, what we said at the beginning for Google Lighthouse within Chrome, I think it's a very good practice to check it regularly, especially post-launch to make sure everything is staying on track. Uh, I don't know. Do you, would you have any recommendation? Yeah, I'll keep mine specific to analytics. If possible, split testing a site, but that's very complex. You need to be a large enough brand where a 2% dip would, would make a substantial difference. But I have an interesting story, not funny story, but interesting story of bias in launches. So I have a lot of these stories, but one particular that comes to mind, especially if you are migrating from a different platform and you're not on Shopify, 
It could be the same thing if you're on Shopify, but almost do a data quality check before you relaunch because chances are if you are rebuilding a new theme and especially if you are migrating your analytics and tracking your measurements, your measurement is changing. If your measurement was broken pre-launch and let's say it's cleaned up post-launch, everything is going to look different. The story that I mentioned is we had a brand about a year ago. This was a migration relaunched with all of our server-side tracking and their channel. So their channel distribution changed significantly, which caused a red flag. There, so there are two major issues. One was bounce rate went way up and channel distribution changed. We went back to look at their old analytics. We did a retrospective. They had what was called a ghost referral. So they were essentially paid search sessions were flipping to organic on their old setup. And they had a non-interactive event that was live. So their bounce rate was like 20%, 25%. Post-launch, it was like 50 or 60%. So it was like something must be broken, bounce rate went way up, or the site is severely underperforming what's going on. But also, hey, post-launch, organics tanking, paid search is way up, something must be broken. So we presented like your old analytics actually were wrong and were broken. Here's why. They can go back in version history. And the decision was you know what? We like the way the things were the old way. How can you get it back to where it was the old way? You know, the data, I wouldn't say I'm a purist, but I was like, you got to be effing kidding me. Like that doesn't make sense. But it, and not necessarily it was, I wouldn't say it was a right or wrong decision, but I think the process in place of pulling their analytics, doing their strategic reviews with the management team and making decisions based on channel distribution, et cetera, I think it was going to be a very hard habit to break. Everything's different. And I don't know, I'll, I'll pause there. But that was one story that comes, uh, it still blows my mind. Like, But you literally can see it. I shot a video of their user explorer going through session by session, like, see, here's where it was breaking. But Anyways, I mean, obviously we have those circumstances with Elevar too, with ghost referrals and headless sites, and that's always a tricky one to solve. But I have a lot more, but that's one that comes to mind in terms of do a little bit of data quality cleanup, relaunch, just to ensure that you're not surprised post-launch. Absolutely. And that was a great story. I think some annotation and documenting also goes a long way so that, you know, in six months, in a year, in two years, so that we know what happened on that day or in that month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Adrian, how can people get in touch with you? You can go on our website, fafsolution.com, and contact us there. My email, adrian at fafsolution.com, will give it in the notes. You can shoot me an email. If you're in Miami, we can uh, grab a coffee. Otherwise, we can always uh, hop on a call. Awesome. Well, a Frenchman in Miami. We have Robin. Maybe we'll Robin on our team. We'll fly over, uh, fly over and hang out as well. Alrighty, that's it. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you so much, Brad. Thanks for having me. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar, that's E-L-E-V-A-R, or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. Thanks again.